welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Kelsey Bowler, and guest hosting with me today is the one and only Lindsay Fifield. We're so excited to have you with us today, Lindsay. I think a congratulations is in order. Yes. For those who don't follow Lindsay on social media, she just got engaged last week. So congratulations. We're going to talk a bit more about that later in the show. But first, we're going to discuss Teen Vogue's recent Snapchat post promoting how to get abortions behind your parents' backs. Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth's divorce. I promise we have a good reason to be talking about that. The release of the movie Unplanned on Amazon and DVD. And we'll also share our awesome interview with Liz Wheeler, host of Tipping Point on One America News Network. Of course, we'll crown our problematic woman of the week at the end of the show, and you won't want to miss this one. So every week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or, quote-unquote, problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting our show by leaving us a review or rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Encourage others to subscribe or just let them know that, hey, we exist. Let's get right into it. So a few weeks ago, we talked about a Teen Vogue article that addressed why sex work is real work, according to the author. If you thought that was outrageous, it looks like Teen Vogue has done it again. This past weekend, Laura Klesson, founder of the pro-life group Choice 42, tweeted images from a Teen Vogue Snapchat that teaches minors how to get abortions. One of these images seen on Snapchat says, Having access to abortion should be your right, regardless of your parents' beliefs. This information appears to be recycled from a June 6th article published on the magazine's website, teenvogue.com, where an author answers the question, quote, I'm 16, I'm pregnant, and I don't want to be. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to get an abortion without my parents' permission, but I'm really scared to tell them because they are both against abortion. What should I do? The real question, in my opinion, is, What should parents do to prevent their 16-year-olds from, first, finding themselves in the position of becoming pregnant at 16, and second, to avoid seeking an abortion behind their parents' backs? But, Lindsay, there's a lot going on here. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, this is straight out of Planned Parenthood's playbook. They have been eroding parental rights and eroding the relationship between kids and their parents from the get-go. That is their literal model. That's why they go into public schools intentionally. So if you follow the awesome former Planned Parenthood director that's behind the Unplanned movie, she talks a lot about this, about how they go into schools, they try to get these girls really young, and they, they make sure that that trust barrier between parents and children is broken down and that they feel like, oh, the only people that you should feel comfortable talking about sex too are your teachers and people like us because I'm cool and I'm from Planned Parenthood and I've got pink hair and I can talk to you about all this weird taboo stuff that you can't talk to your parents about that. This is stuff that you can, you know, they intentionally do that kind of thing and build that that narrative in children's minds 
And now we're kind of seeing the fruit of that. We see this next generation of women who don't feel like they can talk to their parents about these things. And you do see that breakdown of the trust um, and, and the relationship between parents. And it's it's heartbreaking. It's, it's devastating to see that so many young women would feel like not only that they're not safe enough to tell their parents what's going on, but that they feel like they need to to do this this thing in secret that the left also tries to say is not a big deal like oh you know it's just abortion it's not it's not a big deal then why make it a secret why make it this this dirty thing that you have to hide and and do behind your parents back but then it it becomes a lie that is going to follow you for the rest of your life and we've shared a lot of those women's stories on the daily signal and it's heartbreaking to read the pain that these women go through because not only have they done this horrible thing then they don't even have a family that they can go and talk to about it it's devastating Right. I have a baby girl on the way. So I'm thinking through a lot of these questions, you know, and and one is how to address these issues with their children, you know, at the right point in time where if they found themselves in this situation, they wouldn't be seeking an abortion behind your back, but also, you know, in time to prevent something like this from happening. And then also, more importantly, how do you prevent them from being exposed to this propaganda that's not just on teenvogue.com, but it's on Snapchat. It's on Snapchat. It's on YouTube. It's funny. Some of our content partners like PragerU and others, they get their videos um, flagged not so that you know adults like you and I can still view their content, but you forget, and a lot of people don't understand, what it does, what those flags do is it means that you can't see that at a school. But you know what you can see at a school? Teen Vogue. And that's cuckoo bananas. The fact that when you drop your kid off at school and you think that they're going to be able to use a, you know, a, a computer that has parental controls on it or like what 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 should we call it? It's like the the guides that they're not going to be able to see like blocks that they're not going to see anything, you know, bad or any bad content. They're still able to access Teen Vogue because it's considered like an educational resource. So that's something that parents should definitely be on the lookout for. Um, I would definitely be putting a block on any devices to make sure that they're not getting that kind of content. Not because it's some, you know, you say that and it sounds like, oh, why are you trying to shelter kids away from this information? That's not the point. They're too young to make these kinds of decisions. And this is literal brainwashing. This is literal misinformation that they're trying to weaponize. They're not wanting young women to think for themselves or they're not empowering women with the truth. That's the kind of stuff that parents should be equipping their kids with. And this ain't it. I know you have a lot of close friends who have young children. Do you know of any steps that they've taken already to prevent this type of material from winding up in the palm of their hands? A little bit. Thankfully, a lot of them are really too young. And it's great that they are so proactive about it. Now, we we know a lot more because us, my, you know, my generation of or our generation of women are people who grew up at the intersection of internet and no internet. And mm-hmm. our parents were kind of grappling with what is this? You know, they didn't really understand it. Now we really get it. We know what the risks are because we grew up in it. And so now I think we're all doing a lot better job of using applications like AngelVid or parental blocks and things on their phones and just making sure. But it's not just – it's not about what your what your kids are putting out online. It's really all about what they're taking in. It's really about what websites they're seeing and what videos they're able to access. I would not let a kid have Snapchat. That's just not – it's just too um, – on, on a phone that I wasn't able to monitor until they're old enough to really understand what it is. Well, moving on to perhaps the shocker of the century. So shocking. (laughs) Joke. Can't believe it. 
Miley Cyrus and Liam Hemsworth are getting divorced. After less than one year of marriage, they made this announcement. And you might be wondering, you know, yes, we love (laughs) to cover some pop culture here on Problematic Women, but why are we talking about this random celebrity divorce? Well, we actually have a good reason. If you recall just a couple weeks ago, we discussed Miley Cyrus's somewhat strange interview she did with Elle magazine. In my opinion, it raised a lot of red flags about her marriage. For those who didn't hear that episode, I, I want to remind you briefly some of the things she said during it. She said, quote, I think it's very confusing to people that I'm married, but my relationship is unique, and I don't know that I would ever publicly allow people in there because it's so complex and modern and new that I don't think we're in a place where people would get it. I mean, do people really think that I'm at home in an effing apron cooking dinner? I'm in a hetero relationship, but I am still very sexually attracted to women. People become vegetarian for health reasons, but bacon is still effing good, and I know that. I made a partner decision. This is the person I feel has my back the most. I definitely don't fit into a stereotypical wife role. I don't even like that word. (laughs) She clearly doesn't like that word because she's not going to be a wife anymore. She's getting a divorce. Um, One more thing she said during that interview, she was uh, promoting her new song, quote, Never Be Me. And the chorus of that song says, if you're looking for faithful, that'll never be me. If you're looking for stable, that will never be me. If you're looking for someone that'll be all that you need, that's never going to be me. I mean, (laughs) mean, she was right. Nobody (laughs) nobody would have doubted you on that one, Miley. I'm I'm just shocked that Liam Hemsworth married her in the first place. Could I just say that? And and I feel really, really bad for him. Hensworth reportedly wanted children. So that's what Miley had to say in that interview, too. She said, we've been doing the same thing to the earth that we do to women. We just take and take and take and expect it to keep producing. And it's exhausted. It can't produce. We're getting handed a piece of planet. And I refuse to hand that down to my child until I feel like my kid would live on an earth with fish in the water. I'm not bringing another person to deal with that. So I I am just blown away. But also, did anybody not see this coming? I mean, the, the interview was absolutely foreshadowing. We all knew that that was the direction that they were heading because it's not and it never was a real marriage. I mean, they're absolutely narcissistic like totally crazy and her her like comment I actually really respected his comment which was um he put out the statement you know just a quick note Miley and I have recently separated I wish her nothing but health and happiness going forward this is a private matter and I have not made nor will I be making any comments to any journalist or media outlets any reported quotes attributed to me are false peace and love so he kept it short he wanted it to be out of the public eye I feel like Miley and we've seen this throughout her career and obviously you know that she started out as a child star She's just desperate for attention, and she will literally say anything or do anything to get whatever she has to do to get attention. She's going to do it, and that's kind of self-evident here. And on top of that L interview, which really seemed like a slap in the face to her husband, right after they made the divorce announcement, she took to Italy to have a makeout session with her new girlfriend as paparazzi very obviously stalked them nearby. And I think that's such a stark contrast between the ways that Miley and Liam um, are responding. He's sounds like he's taking the high road, definitely um, not putting himself out in the public, not talking about the divorce. And she's out there 
living her best life, (laughs) which appears to be very selfish. And, you know, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I mean, you're someone who's just got engaged. I just got engaged. And um, my question is, like, do do millennials just have a lack of respect for the institution of marriage? No, thank God. I mean, honestly, I think it's great that she's being so ridiculous because we've been able to see the backlash to this and the reaction from the public. And even many of her fans are like, gross, girl, what are you doing? This is really sad. And she's a train wreck. And that is not something that most... Young people or millennials or anybody is turned like excited about or like, yeah, that's what I want my life to look like. These are not emulatable people. These are not people that anybody wants to model their life after. Even if you're, you know, jet setting to Italy and making out with other ladies, like, I'm sorry, nobody's looking at that and being like, that's what I want my life to look like. People are really tired of this kind of narcissistic emptiness and like meaninglessness culture. So I really think, especially her comments about like the world is ending, they're literally like a doomsday cult and they don't actually like listen to science. They just want to believe that the world is ending despite any actual science that tells them otherwise. But unlike a religion, there's no redemption or forgiveness or love or sacrifice it's literally built on nothing so of course you're going to see that people you know that play at being married or being parents they're going to crash and burn because they're not actually building that on anything sustainable and you do see the divorce rates going down right now amongst millennials they are getting married a little bit later i do think that we need to push that trend back the other way we need to be encouraging people to get married younger and have kids younger um because you know just that that has been a proven um biology know, yes, <laughs> biology is a good thing to pay attention to um but the I think the divorce rate is going down because people kind of see that that's not what they want their lives to look like. They want to have strong marriages. Um, They don't want to have this kind of narcissistic, selfish um, relationship like we just saw crash and burn with Mr. Mr. Liam and Miss Miley. Yeah. And, you know, I I never like judging people's marriages too much. Um, And when we did the Miley segment a couple weeks ago, you know, I didn't want to be that harsh in in my judgment of their marriage. But that said, you could tell something was wrong there. And then in their mm. announcement that about the divorce, <laughs> it was so selfish. They said, ever-evolving, ever-changing as partners and individuals, they have decided this is what's best while they both focus on themselves and their careers. <laughs> yeah, it's really narcissistic. I mean, clearly your marriage was never about the two of you and the foundation you laid. And when people go out there, especially celebrities who say, which is becoming an increasing trend. I'm not going to have children because I'm going to save the environment. I mean, first off, it just sounds like a bunch of virtue signaling. But second off, I just don't really believe it. There are legitimate reasons that people make for not having children. We had an amazing interview with Shannon Bream where she opened up about um, why her and her husband don't have children. But um, children really are a very central part of marriage and to close the door to that to close the door to that for environmental reasons is is not just ignorant but i think it's kind of insulting to the institution of marriage absolutely and it's also insulting to children who exist on this planet right now if you saw big little lies the second season i'm sorry if i'm giving you spoilers um, but there was a part in one of the shows where one of the children had an anxiety attack and it was a because they had been talking in class about Um, how they were killing the planet. And children hear this stuff, people, and you're causing them to absolutely panic over it. And you're starting to make them think 
that they shouldn't exist because that's that's literally what they're telling people is, oh, I'm not going to bring a child into this world because we shouldn't exist because we're killing it. What is that supposed to make the people who are here feel like, especially kids that can't make up their minds and don't have that discernment? Well, our final news topic to get to prior to chatting with Liz Wheeler of One American News is the fact that we we are very excited to share that <laughs> Unplanned, the movie, is now available to purchase via DVD, if, if, if you still do that. Some people apparently do. <laughs> and it's also available to be streamed, which I was really excited about because I was just nervous that they would be blocked by any of the streaming services like Amazon or Netflix would refuse to work with them. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix did indeed refuse to work right. with them. Uh, but it is available um, for streaming on Amazon if you have that. So Unplanned, of course, tells the true story of Abby Johnson, a Planned Parenthood clinic director who quit her job with the nation's largest abortion provider in 2009 after having a conversion experience uh, regarding abortions. Uh, the movie starring Ashley uh, Bratchers grossed $19 million in theaters over 19 weeks, according to to Box Office Mojo. It was a huge hit despite it facing different types of hurdles. <laughs> it was a complete media blackout, right. but they still managed. Yeah. Right. And and now it's a bestseller on DVD, believe it or not. Um so I yeah, I'm super excited about this because I have a lot of friends who I love engaging on the issue of abortion. And I view them as sort of in the movable middle where I really think that in time they're going to come and see the light. And I think this movie, Unplanned, is and was one of the most effective ways for people in that movable middle to see uh, what abortion really is. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I knew that <laughs> these friends probably weren't motivated enough to go pay to see the movie um, in the movie theater, but... How hard is it to stream yeah. on your couch you Amazon know, on and a Friday show. night? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I will say one thing. It's not a it's a it's a good movie. It's obviously a very good movie. But I think I actually would feel more comfortable watching it in the comfort of my home versus going to a theater because it is a it is an issue that is so emotionally charged for so many people. But we do know that 70 percent of people in America who consider themselves pro-choice, who label themselves that way, actually do support abortion restrictions. So you're right. We absolutely have a great opportunity to persuade people to bring them over to a more pro-life um, viewpoint. And this is a great movie to do it, to really open some eyes. So. Yeah, I have to say conservatives and the pro-life movement don't have a great track record in the entertainment field uh, for actually producing good movies and documentaries and so forth. Um, but, you know, putting the issue aside, this was actually just a really compelling movie, really compelling storyline. Um, so I really encourage you, if you have any of those friends who might be open to discussing the topic of abortion um, and sitting down and watching this movie with you, uh, challenge them to do that. Offer to pay the few dollars on Amazon to buy it for them, because I really think it it can and will change hearts and minds. On that note, up next, I will be sitting down with Liz Wheeler, host of Tipping Point on One American News, also the author of the brand new book, Tipping Points, How to Topple the Left's House of Cards. But first, I want to tell you about a great podcast that you all, our listeners, might be interested in tuning in 
talk to over at the Independent Women's Forum, where, fun fact, I also serve as a visiting fellow. So each week, the Independent Women's Forum has a podcast, She Thinks, which brings you fresh, relevant content in a fun way without the politically correct nonsense. On She Thinks, substance and style supersede political spin. Led by the charismatic host, Beverly Hallberg, She Thinks podcast features some of the country's top women, conservative leaders, and independent thinkers. Independent Women's Forum is known for championing women's rights to be heard and respected without the crunch of the female victimhood narrative espoused by the mainstream media, special interests, and the Hollywood elite. Check out what all the buzz is about by subscribing to the She Thinks podcast wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting iwf.org. On that note, let's get to our interview with Liz Wheeler, host of Tipping Point on One America News. Liz, thank you so much for joining Problematic Woman. You certainly are a problematic woman. I have no doubt about that. We are very excited to have you join the show. Kelsey, thanks so much for being here. And that is the highest compliment that you could pay to me. (laughs) So you're out with this new book, Tipping Points, How to Topple the Left's House of Cards. And uh, one one of the things I've always admired about you is your ability to engage in really civilized but tough debate. Um, is this what your book gets into? And what are what are some pieces of advice you have for young conservatives who do want to engage in the conversation in a in a tough but productive manner? Yeah, definitely. I think I think actually you hit on something that I pride myself on. And I wish more people in politics on both sides of the aisle did. And that is be really sharp and really um, fiery about your debate. But do not stoop to the personal level. Do not stoop to the personal level, no matter how tempting, no matter how much of a softball and insult might be against your opponent. Keep it respectful. Keep it civil. And you can win a debate so much easier doing that. That's what I try to do. Um, on Twitter, on my show, I'm going to call you out. If you're lying, I'm going to debunk your um, deceitful narrative, but I'm not going to get into the personal, um, the personal ad hominem type of debating. And in my book, that's exactly what I do. I give you 11 tactics for debating the left, none of which have to do with anything personal, but they're just rhetorical, the rhetorical tricks, the rhetorical skills that you can use to parry with the left, you can use to debunk the lies. The left is constantly trying um, trying to peddle, and it really helps you turn the conversation around so that we can push conservative values and debunk socialism. And how do you remain above the fray in that sense when you're going up against, you know, I'd say this is more the far left, that is making these debates personal. Take the gun debate, for example. Uh, They're implicating the president in this. They are uh, smearing those who are against gun control and say that's not going to help prevent these in the future as racist and as as people who want to excuse these types of mass tragedies. Um, Yeah. Can you give us an example of how you would go about doing that? Yeah. So one of the things that I always do when I'm debating someone who is hurling terrible accusations at me is I remember that I always try to keep it at the forefront of my mind that the 
enemy here or the opponent is not the person. It's the idea they're espousing. So that makes it so much easier not to, ha- not to hack them or insult them personally. What I'm trying to destroy is their ideology, not them as an individual. And I think that's something that's lost in our political dialogue. We so often think of the enemy as the person we hate, the person versus hating the ideology, and that changes the tone of the debate. I think that's what I would tell people as they're getting into a debate is remember what your true opponent is. It's the viewpoint that they're espousing, not the person. I mean, every person, even if they're espousing something that you and I, Kelsey, think is bad, even something that they think is evil, every person is still made in God's image, and we should we should defeat and destroy and debunk their ideology and not them as a person. Absolutely. And, you know, this is to me, this is more of a recent phenomenon where we're seeing the other side come from a come into these debates, assuming that we as conservatives or Trump supporters are engaging in a position of bad faith where, you right. know, again, taking the the Second Amendment debate, for example, um, you know, it, it should be assumed that nobody wants these to happen. We are all working for the same goals. The difference, the difference is the policies that, you know, we both sides think will lead us there. But it's just so hard to engage when you have one side basically tuning you out because they're assuming you're coming from a position of bad faith. Well, that's one of the strategies that I talk about in my book that the left engages in. They engage in what they call, what I call the binary choice tactic, where they either, they give you, they want to place before you a choice where either you agree with their radical leftist ideology or your only alternative is that you are a bad person. So they place this binary choice before us where we agree with, we either agree with them or we're evil, racist, bigots. And this is obviously, Kelsey, a logical fallacy, but they do this because we've gotten past the point of debating the merits of a particular policy. We're not, the left is not interested anymore in sitting here and debating, well, when it comes to mass shootings, what policy actually is effective in reducing gun violence? Is it taking guns away from people or is it that we need more mental health screenings or is the best way to reduce mass shootings to legally arm people and encourage concealed carry and abolish gun-free zones and for law enforcement to actually enforce the laws on the book. They're not interested in having that conversation. So they give us this binary choice where we either agree with their gun control policies or we're bad people. And I talk about this in my book because it's very important to recognize the tactics being used by the left, because once we recognize the tactics, we can better debunk, we can better defeat those tactics rhetorically. And so in the following chapter, after I help identify what tactics the left uses, I show people what tactics, what counter tactics we can use in order to, um, in order to basically trip them up in their own rhetorical tricks. 
You've worked at One American News for some time now. I'm curious. Yeah, four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm in One American News. Actually, I I saw just got a shout out from the president. So congratulations on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, how do you think these smaller conservative news outlets like One American News and even like the Daily Signal can help can help these conversations and debates? Well, just by telling the truth for one thing. I mean, we know the mainstream media engages in deceitful rhetoric on a minute-by-minute basis. It's not even a daily basis anymore. We know that they deliberately withhold information that's critical to analyzing a story and drawing a conclusion about the po- the politics behind a story. We know they insert their bias constantly. So one of the things that I do on my show specifically is we have a segment called Underreported Stories. You're familiar with this, I'm sure, because you're a you're frequently a guest on this segment where we talk about stories that we report on stories the mainstream media and the left don't want to talk about. And the reason the mainstream media and the left don't want to talk about it is because these particular stories uh, uh, debunk their leftist narrative on some larger issue. So, for example, this past week, we talked at length about the ideology of the Dayton shooter, the ideology of the Dayton shooter being far leftist ideology. He was a fan of Elizabeth Warren. He, he routinely echoed Antifa Twitter accounts. He called the ICE bomber from last month who tried to attack an ICE facility with rifles and a bomb. He called that person, that terrorist, a martyr. His ideology was very clear, and yet the left did not report on this at all, or if so, very briefly. They spent the bulk of their time talking about the El Paso shooter and his white supremacist ideology in their efforts to conflate white supremacist ideology with President Trump's ideology, which, as we know, is a complete lie. So what we do on our show is we report on stories the mainstream media will not touch. And I think for One American News and for The Daily Signal, for any independent journalist, any up-and-coming news network or news outlet, giving the people what they are not given by other networks is key. I mean, there's, there's certainly... And just in the scheme of supply and demand, there is a demand from the people for the truth. And if we give them the truth, then they are going to come to us. Absolutely. And it's not every day that we see someone so young have their own TV show. I'm sure all the all of our young uh, women, female audience listeners are curious to know what would be your advice to young women who want to enter a career in TV news? Well, the first piece of advice that I would give is read as many books as you possibly can. Read as often as you can. Read as large of a variety of topics as you can. Read conservative ideology. Read liberal ideology. Educate yourself. Because I always say, when you are in a debate with a leftist, it's not difficult to be the most educated person in that debate, as long as you have made an effort to read and educate yourself. The left deals in shallow, surface-level talking points and deceitful rhetorical tactics. If we as conservatives educate ourselves on the issues, then we are going to know more than the left knows in that debate. Once we know more, then the only thing we have to do is identify the tactics the left is using, and we can engage in our counter tactics. And if we have more facts than the left, that should be an easy thing to do. So if you want to get into TV, the first thing you need to do is educate yourself. Read as many books as you can. Start writing. Writing is a... a, 
undervalued skill or a skill that a lot of people don't realize is very important in television is writing your material, writing out your arguments, writing your counter arguments. So read and write and then start engaging in these debates, start being part of the conversation. Whether that means writing op-eds for conservative news outlets, whether that means starting your own podcast, whether that means engaging with thought leaders on our side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle on Twitter, start taking part in this conversation. Start being a thought leader yourself. And that's really the best way to get into TV is to have an audience already who listens to you, who follows you for advice. And that will lead to um, television networks or it can lead to television networks wanting to have you on because people want to hear what you have to say. I love that your advice isn't just to read everything going on in the news. It's actually to read books because you're absolutely yeah. right that the conversations are so surface level. And, you know, with our phones at our disposal, 24 hours a day. It's we're a generation that's so easily distracted, but it is so important to take the time to uh, really learn the policies um, behind these surface level conversations that we see play out every day in the news. So thank you for right, that. What happens too? what happens too is when you educate yourself on the deeper level, then every time there is a surface level conversation, you know, on Twitter or on the news or on cable news, you already know the facts behind the topic because there's basically a finite number of political arguments that are had in our political sphere these days. They, they're just constantly recycled. So if you know, if you're educated on the issues, it's just going to be the surface level arguments that differ. The facts that are underlying the policy are going to remain the same. Right. And now everybody listening has the opportunity to read your new book, which is just so exciting. I really admire you for doing that. Thank you. The last question we love ending with um, is asking all of our guests, do you identify as a feminist? Uh, I do not. I do not identify as a feminist. I mean, the the original wave, the first wave feminist, this is such a wonky answer, <laughs> but the first wave feminist just did incredible made incredible strides in women's rights. You know, they want us our right to vote. They want us, you know, cultural acceptance in the workplace, which, you know, you and I, Kelsey, take full advantage of. Um, and to those women, I am forever indebted. Those women, however, were also pro-life. Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell, these incredible first-wave feminists valued women's capacity to have children and valued the dignity of all human life, including unborn life. That is not the same with this modern wave of feminism. They no longer want women to have an equal playing field or to enjoy their equal rights under the law. They want women to be put on this artificial pedestal where we're held to different standards and allowed to do different things than men. They demonize men and they demonize unborn children. They fight for abortion without restriction. I do not need that kind of artificial feminism to be successful in my career and in my life. And so I do not identify... As a feminist, I identify as a Christian, a daughter of the king, a wife, a friend, a professional, a television host, and an independent woman who does not need abortion on demand and man-hating to be successful in my career in life. So that's my long answer. My short answer is no. <laughs> 
Love it. <laughs> so again, uh, Liz Wheeler is the author of the brand new book, Tipping Points, How to Topple the Left's House of Cards. You can buy it on Amazon. You can get the audio book. It's at Barnes and Nobles, all your bookstores. Liz, are you doing a book tour where any anyone listening might have the opportunity to meet you? Um, that's to be determined right now, we've done online book signings so that people all over the nation, no matter where you are, can tune in and ask questions and uh, get their signed copies of the book. If you want a signed copy, too, I would add to your list of bookstores. You can still get an autographed copy at premiercollectibles.com slash Liz. I'd be absolutely happy to sign your book for you. Um, with the show, the schedule of the tour is a little bit difficult to do, so we've done a lot of this stuff connecting with people online and we've just I've been so thrilled with how many people have you know supported this book how many people have been interested in this book late last week we were number three on Amazon's bestseller list in the political commentary uh, category we've been on the bestseller list at Barnes and Noble uh, during the first week of um, of release and the reviews and feedback that I've gotten from this book have been so encouraging people have said exactly what I've hoped that they would say that after reading this, they feel empowered to take part in the debate themselves, to take part in this fight against the radical left ideology. And I could not ask for a higher compliment about my book. Well, you deserve every word of that praise. Uh, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to write it. I can only imagine how difficult that was on top of um, all the work you do for your show, which again is on One America News at 9 p.m. Liz, thank you so much for joining. Kelsey, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. I love Liz so much. So look, I know I am overwhelmed by the 24 news cycle, so I know y'all might be too. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, but you just don't want to slog through a bunch of left-leaning podcasts or just a bunch of political red meat kind of stuff, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day and co-hosts Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis interview lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and others on the most important policy debates in America today. So if you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, Check out the Daily Signal podcast. It's available every weekday morning. All right, Lindsay, it is that time of the week to crown our problematic woman of the week. I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm excited, too. All right. Well, this week, the honor goes to Britney Spears. Why? (laughs) Because she's apparently a frequent visitor to her local Target. So according to financial documents filed in a legal case she's involved in that were obtained by The Blast and reported by Page Six. The 37-year-old pop star is worth nearly $60 million, but she still loves a bargain. So apparently she frequented her local Target 80 times over the past year. I think it's hilarious. (laughs) I don't, I really... And somehow this is a news story. Well, I think it's weird that people, what else do you think a mom's going to do? I mean, that basically boils down to, and this is my back of the envelope homeschool math. That's about like what? 1.5 times a week. It's, it's not that much. I mean, if you're a busy mom and you need to run to the, to target, I'm not that concerned about that. I don't think people should be attacking her for this. You, you go on, Brittany, be a mom. I'm just excited. You know, it's funny no one's attacking Miley for all the cuckoo banana stuff that she said, but we're supposed to be attacking Britney Spears for going to Target too much. Come so on. to be clear, page six 
they're not attacking her, mm. but, you know, they picked out this one nugget from this huge lawsuit that has nothing to do with even her, like... They're making fun of her. I, yes. don't th- I think you're right that they've left themselves the wiggle room of being able to say, like, I don't... We're not making fun of her. We're not doing anything bad. We're not attacking her, but... Yes, you are. But they turned this into a news story. Yes. I mean, I guess now we're complicit by <laughs> talking about it. Um, it's but an effective headline. Like good, the good horror tactic. that Britney Spears likes a good bargain at Target. I mean, who doesn't like Target? I would love to be worth $60 million and then go to Target. I mean, obviously, <laughs> a lot of conservatives do not like Target. Let's be real. We've definitely had some controversies with them. They are not perfect. They are That's not a perfect true. company. They definitely have some left-leaning policies that I don't support, but... I'm going to be real with y'all. I go to Target. I love it. I love their shoes. I love their bathing suits. I'm just saying. Yeah, and they <laughs> apparently have some pretty good baby stuff. So They I, do have I cute baby stuff, so you should get more on that. in the future. <laughs> All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. You can all join us next Thursday morning for another edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm happy to come back anytime. And for everyone listening, conservatives really need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a huge difference and helps other people find podcasts like these. So please go and do that. We really do appreciate it. And y'all just have a great week. This podcast is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans. Associate producer, Samantha Rank. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton. 